This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey guys, it's Sean, and I'm here to introduce you to a bonus episode of Real Blend because we got the opportunity to speak to Freddy Krueger himself, Mr. Robert Englund. And when you get the opportunity to speak to a horror icon like that, no matter the circumstances, you drop everything and you say yes. And that's why we're able to bring this interview to you. So the reason we got Robert Englund is because of his uh, brief cameo on the first half of Stranger Things season four. Uh, if you maybe are not caught up to speed on watching all of those episodes. Uh, he has an important scene, which he will discuss at length in this interview. Uh, his character is going to have significance, I believe, in the second half of the season, which is going to be dropping on July 1st, which is kind of why we wanted to get this interview out there. Uh, and, you know, fair warning to everybody going into this. You should be pretty caught up on Stranger Things before you listen to this interview, because we are going to talk in great detail about his character uh, and the circumstances of his character and and the uh, ramifications of some of his actions. Also, you should just watch it because first half of Stranger Things season four was really, really good. Uh, and it continued to do a lot of the homages uh, in tone specifically to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, of which Robert Englund is a, a significant contributor, uh, but also Englund's uh scene in particular is without question a direct reference to the silence of the lambs uh, in the way that uh, stranger things likes to reference things uh, from our pop culture past and and uh, robert england uh, gets into all of the the things that sort of informed his performance uh, as he tried to do his best hannibal lecter i almost called him freddy i, I feel like i just want to call him freddy and there's po there's uh two points in this interview where he will break into his freddy voice and it's just the greatest thing in the world. Like you have to see Robert Englund doing Freddy Krueger. Uh, and so um, I'm going to throw right to the interview because it's time for you guys to listen to Robert Englund joining us on the Real Blend podcast to talk about his cameo in Stranger Things and several highlights over the course of his career. I'm going to open up with this because obviously the Silence of the Lambs and Jonathan Demi, that that entire opening, that entire shot down the down the actual corridor uh, is is clearly an homage to one of the greatest scenes in the history of cinema. And it made me think about 
iconic aspects in movies and clearly with Freddy being an iconic character and Hannibal being an iconic character. And it made me think about if Freddy were to get into Hannibal's mind while he was sleeping, how Freddy would operate in Hannibal's mind, what he would do with Hannibal. Uh, and if those two were to somehow meet, uh, have you thought about that at all? Those two iconic characters in cinema kind of meeting and what Freddy would do in Hannibal's dreams or, or nightmares. Well, you know, Lecter uh, is one of my favorite screen villains. And, and, and I go all the way back to the Brian Cox interpretation yes. in Manhunter. Manhunter. Yeah, with William Peterson. Uh, and it, that's, a, that, that's an extraordinarily haunting performance. Uh, and obviously the master, Anthony Hopkins. Um, you know, I, 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 I recognized immediately when I got on the set uh, before I went into makeup and was and couldn't see any longer that that's what they were doing there. And that's the Duffer brothers. You know, it's just layer upon layer upon layer of not only 80s nostalgia, but 80s production design and familiarity. And it begins to play with your subconscious when all of those things, you know, <clears throat> are manifesting at once when there's a little bit of Silence of the Lambs, a little bit of Nightmare on Elm Street, a little bit of Amityville Horror, a little bit of Goonies, uh, yeah. a little bit of E.T., you know, E.T., all of these things are meshing and layering. And and in essence, it's season four is also the boy, the kids are getting older. Our protagonists mm -hmm. are getting older and and exploring their sexuality and and aging out of being kids and and their 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 cuteness and so it's this loss of innocence which i'm i'm sure will be exploited in in season 5 uh which is also the theme of nightmare on elm street but yeah i recognize that i don't know i mean if 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 hannibal lecter fell asleep you know and and it could be brian or or anthony or mads mickelson was that the greatest show ever yeah. on, on, on oh, network yeah. television? Yes. There were whole episodes without dialogue. But what they did there was uh, they played with the concept of foodie and the foodie being evil and being obsessive, which we know if you've ever gone out to dinner with one and watched them order and be fussy <laughs> with the menu like a vegetarian, you know, that's embarrassing you in a barbecue restaurant. Uh, but uh, I, I think it would be fun for Freddie to poison Hannibal, uh, you know, somehow would be, would be an interesting twist that, that he would get into Hannibal's head and convince Hannibal to go to a, a, a three-star Michelin restaurant and and actually have him gourmand himself to death, you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Hannibal, know. Hannibal, Hannibal, try the blowfish. You are honestly make that. I would pay good money to watch this, Robert. I, I, I would please get this made at some point. That would be incredible. Ready using his claw as chopsticks. You know? Yes. <laughs> Uh, Robert, I'm curious when you're doing a scene. More wasabi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more wasabi. <laughs> yeah, that's great.
Um, when you're doing a scene uh, like the one for, for Stranger Things that relies so heavily on flashback, uh, but you're still they still use your narration track. Uh, I'm just curious from a, from a craft standpoint. Uh, do you know at the time of filming the exact moments when you are going to be shown? Well, they're obviously uh, they're obviously there's a script. And yeah. when I first saw it, I, I thought, well, great. I'll just learn the parts where I'm on camera. Mm. And uh, so I called the studio. I had my agent call the studio and ask them. Uh, and, they, and, and the reply we got back was, they're going to film it all. They're going to film everything. So I, I, I learned it all. And because of COVID, I had plenty of time. And I'd also had a makeup test, uh, you know, with the glorious Barry and Duncan over in my London mm hotel room. So I knew what I was going to look like. Hmm. I had the added gift of not really being able to see wearing the makeup. So I didn't have to act blind. I actually couldn't see. Oh, cool. Plus I never had to do any of the cliches, you know, tapping a cane or, 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 or reaching around because he's been in the same space, the cell for so long. Uh, he would know every square inch of it. He would have counted off every pace in every direction. He knows where his chair, his desk, his bed, where the bars are. He knows it instinctively by that time. Uh, so I didn't have to devote any energy to playing blind or acting blind. I went beyond that. And that was just a fact of his existence. And uh, so I didn't devote have to devote energy to that. And I really could spend some time with the great writing. And there's a specific rhythm and even a kind of vernacular that Victor has, uh, uh, I mean, I, I assure you, you know, that I am, you know, still in hell. You know, he speaks a little bit formally sometimes. Mm. Uh, and, and whether that's because he hasn't, he's got nothing but Braille books to read in his cell or for whatever reason, or whether he did in the 50s, you know, back then, what, what's, what schools he went to after the war we don't know but that was given to me and i'm i'm english trained so you really serve the writer and you try to find as much you can from the writing about your character and what other people say about you in the script what other characters say about you mm -hmm. so my big concern was when they were cutting from me talking to natalia and to maya to robin and nancy when they would cut away, I was emo as the scene progressed, I got more and more emotional because I'm recalling this horrible, violent thing that happened that I wasn't able to save my family mm. and those memories that are very uncomfortable for Victor. And so I wanted to make sure that emotionally my vocal performance would match. And I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to get called into Atlanta in six months to do all of that on a sound stage, to do on a dubbing stage, to do ADR mm. over image, because you tend to get a little mellifluous and you tend to lower your voice a little bit. You get a little vain about your vocal work. Mm. You start sounding like a late night jazz disc jockey. And I didn't want that to happen. And I have to do that. I mean, I do. A, I'm a voice actor as well. And I have to use that kind of voice sometimes. So I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to still be Victor's emotional paragraph coming overlapping from the uh, image in the cell to the image of the flashback. And I hadn't seen any of the flashback. And you don't want to be too dramatic because 
there's images in the flashback that are extraordinarily violent and, mm-hmm. and, and emotional. And you don't need to gild the lily with your voice. Mm-hmm. But I, it's still, they were going to be cut. I didn't know when they were going to be cutting back to me. And they'd be cutting back to me and I might be sobbing or I might be having a real problem with, with a memory. So that was my concern. So we filmed it all. And then why, after we did that, I sat down with Sean in the cell for True Sound and we did some of the lines again. So he'd have them clean if he needed them. But I was still emotionally in character. It was very, very clever of Sean to do that instead of bringing me back. To Sean do Levy. Yeah, 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 we love yeah. Yeah. Such a great director. Um, Robert, we are very lucky in that we have a very loyal fan base that listens to our show uh, through audio, through a podcast. But we also have a lot of um, people who tune into our YouTube channel whenever we have a video element such as this. So I have to address the fact that you are in a very cool room right now. And I've spoken to you a few times while you were in this room. I got to ask you, what is the coolest piece of memorabilia that you have in the room that you're in right now? Well, I mean, I I can't pick up the computer or, or I'll pull it out of the wall. Um, I have a signed, I have a signed Christopher Lee original, uh, 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 late sixties, still black and white. Uh, he's bending over uh, a woman with blood dripping into her cleavage signed to me and my wife. Uh, I have a picture of Christopher Lee with my life at, uh, uh, the Brussels film festival. Uh, I have a Yusef Karsh of Karloff. Uh, Boris Karloff over there. Uh, I have a picture of me doing a, an old war horse, an old chestnut of a play called Journey's End, uh, a World War One trench warfare play with, among other people, Andrew Stevens from The Fury, George Went from Cheers, uh, Mr. Pip from Seinfeld. We're all there, you know, in our in the trenches. And in the middle of it all is Muhammad Ali. You know, we're all hanging out, <laughs> came to see the show. I've got a Freddy Krueger drawn by the Simpsons here. How many gloves uh, do you have? I've got gloves. I've got me on bones. I've just, I've got all the uh, action figures. Um, I've got a Freddy wall and then I've got my 70s wall when I was playing. You know, I, I was the sidekick of the 70s, you know, Jeff Bridges and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Peter Strauss, Henry Fonda, uh, uh, wow. you know, Gregory Harrison, Dennis Christopher. I was always the best friend, the pal, the buddy. But <laughs> in this generation or in that generation and now, uh, the, the sidekicks don't age as well. And mm. just by pure accident, I got into science fiction and then into horror. And that's extended my career, I think. I really, oh, I owe the, uh, the genre for, for, because now I get to play the old priest, the old scientist, the old doctor, the old poacher. I tell the backstory just like Victor Creel tells a lot of backstory. And in fact, I just did that on a, on a film. Uh, I was reunited with uh, Dwight Little, who directed me in my Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Bill Mahe and, and Jill Sholin, Cutting Class, and, and uh, The Stepfather, Jill. Mm-hmm. Wonderful movies. Uh, uh, I think she had... Keanu Reeves and Brad Pitt is back-to-back leading men, you know, which is pretty extraordinary. It's not too uh, bad. Uh, <laughs> she, she, Jill was, Jill's wonderful. And she really does sing, but, but uh, Dwight Little was wonderful, an old friend. And we just did a great little uh, low budget horror movie. Uh, uh, we got a uh, Danielle Harris among others in it, but it's called Natty as in Natalia or, mm-hmm. or Natalie, Natty Knox. And it's about, mm-hmm. Uh, late 60s uh, scream queen 
yes. comes back to haunt uh, her nice. hometown. And uh, I, but I do that same, I do that thing and I tell the whole story, you know. So I'm doing that a lot. And I wouldn't be getting these parts, you know, had I not said yes to, to Wes Craven back in 1984. Wow. Very true. You know, Robert, I've been uh, we've been doing this show for years. I've been doing this job I'm in now for about 15 years, and I've never, ever had the chance to speak with you. And growing up, like, I'll, I will never forget seeing Freddy vs. Jason in theaters and just like but just that you're what that character has meant to my life in terms of like going over to my friend's house and like sneaking and watching those R-rated movies against my parents saying that they wouldn't want me to watch that stuff. So I go to a friend's house to watch it. And this is a question I've always wanted to ask. That's you. That's actually it, parenthetically. What you just said is actually true about of Adam Goldberg, who produces the the Goldbergs. That's mm-hmm. why I did that show. That actually happened to me. I had to go to the next door neighbors. To yeah. Watch. yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I, had I to was do. usually the next door neighbors yeah. that my friends came over and watched it at my house. <laughs> the cool neighbor, the cool stepfather. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and so uh, this is a cle- it might be a cliche question, but I've always wanted to ask you this. Um, is there a specific nightmare that you have had recurring in your life? I mean, like, what's a what is a Robert England nightmare like? I mean, considering what you've done for cinema and what that what that character means to dreaming and nightmares. And did your nightmares or dreams shift at all from when you before you played Freddy and after? Like, I'm just wondering how subconsciously that affected you. They, they really didn't shift. But I'll tell you that I've had two really long running nightmares. One began as a child. There was actually two I had as a child. It was a very f- famous cult film called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Mm-hmm. And it's about a it's Tommy Redding, the original star of Lassie, the boy, and Hans Conrad, the voice of the mirror in uh, Disney's Snow White. And it's uh, it's about, you know, the nightmare of piano lessons <laughs> and Salvador Dali did the production design. And there's a moment in it when the boy falls, he spirals in this Salvador Dali-esque vortex onto a piano because he doesn't want to, he's done with these piano lessons. It's too much pressure. And I saw that in the afternoon, staying home from school with a fever. And I dreamt that, that falling onto the piano for years. Simultaneously in the 1950s, when I was a child, uh, the Korean War, along with World War II in movies, but the Korean War was still happening and and, and on the six o'clock news and was kind of scary, uh, you know, and it was North Korean <clears throat> and, and, and Chinese soldiers in those those hats with the, with the, the flaps that cover your ears, mm-hmm. little red star here, you know, the, the communist star, Park Chop Hill, you know, that the Korean War thing, and, and, and not at all done benignly and anti-war as MASH, but the real cruel Cold War that it was. Mm-hmm. And I had a girlfriend in the sixth grade. So this is my second nightmare, recurring nightmare. Mm-hmm. And she was beautiful. And I wrote about this a little bit in my book, but I, I'm trying to save her from hordes of, of North Korean <clears throat> Chinese soldiers coming across communist soldiers with their long coats on and those flapped hats. And they're coming onto my playground and I'm cornered on the handball court and I'm I'm dramatically laying in her lap in the sixth grade and my hormones are raging, my pre-adolescent hormones. And there's blood coming out of the corner of my mouth and she cradles me, you know, as I fight off, you know, all of these soldiers coming. And I had that 
into my 20s, I had that dream. And now the recurring nightmare I have is I'm backstage for Merchant of Venice on one of the Shakespearean productions I did. And I start the show with the Merchant of Venice, which is not Shylock like everybody thinks, but Antonio who goes after Shylock and Shylock wants his pound of flesh from him. And it's the opening of the play. And uh, in sooth, I know not why I am so sad. And I'm one of the two buddies, the two decadent young Italian merchants that hangs out with him. And I had this big line about if you know, and my nightmare is it's the actor's nightmare. I don't know my lines, but I've I've hidden a script backstage and I can pull it out behind that one by three piece of of pine, you know, and canvas and just look at it really quick. And then I'll be all right. I'll be OK. And I can enter <laughs> into the spotlight and they're waiting. And I hear my cue and I'm waiting and I can't find the script I did. I can't find it anywhere. And my heart starts beating and I start to sweat and I'm panicking and I wake up and I wake up and I have that dream probably once a week to the actors night and not knowing your lines, you know, wow. I'm sure you're not alone. It's in the stress community. It's just, well, we all have it, but it's a stress dream depending upon whatever your business or work mm-hmm. is yours. I'm sure with you guys, sometimes it's about deadline. Yeah. yeah. Interviews. Yeah. I, I have dreams about yeah. interviews often. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Robert, uh, let's break a little bit of news. Uh, clearly Victor's not going to get one scene in this season. Uh, where we're seeing you back when the show returns. I don't know. You know, what I realized is because uh, I just finished watching the whole uh, entire season four. And uh, and I and I obviously, without giving out a lot of spoiler alerts, I see where they're going and we see what's manifesting itself with with Henry, my son. Uh, And we've learned the truth of that. But there's a moment when uh, Natalia, when Nancy is in the sort of red uh, upside down. Mm-hmm. Underworld, Salvador Dali, floating things and stalactites and stalagmites and 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 bits and pieces of Hawkins, you know, there, you know, and the roots growing everywhere. And there's a voiceover by Vecna. Uh, it, there's a voiceover there, and he talks about me, mm-hmm. oh, old Victor. Oh, I haven't seen old Victor in a while. Right, right, that right. beautiful voice. I don't know who's doing that voiceover. It sounds a little bit like Andrew Deboff, but I'm not sure who it is uh, doing the voice. And and it's this beautiful voiceover work. And and you can hear him breathing and stuff. And he says, well, maybe he goes, I've been so, so busy, but maybe I should revisit him or something. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's just the writing reaffirming to the audience the relationship between the two, you know, mm. uh, Henry, Victor, Victor, Vec- Victor Vecna, or if it's um, means that he's got to come back and kill me, you know, or he wants to relish my death because uh, as a father, I let him down, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, I, and, and that I had been responsible and I'm a hypocrite, like, you know, like he says to 11, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a hypocrite, you know, and I was responsible for a, a baby's death during World War II and all of that, you know, <clears throat> bougie suburban dad, you know, and I, you know, right, right, right. so, so there, that, that, that may, could be any of those, any of those reasons, you know, but, you know, Victor, what's Victor? What is the name Victor? What is the, the, the drop down basic horror collective consciousness of the name Victor Frankenstein. Yes, yep. very true. And who is Victor Frankenstein? What did he do? He gave birth to what? A monster. Mm-hmm. A monster. 
because Frankenstein is the scientist, not the monster. Mm -hmm. And I'm Victor Creel, and I gave birth to a monster. So what does that say about about my evil seed? You know, I mean, I don't some know good what writing. that means. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, the and also some interesting, value. yeah, for people who know the story behind Freddy's Dead, also some interesting parallels um, well, there but as also, well. But also, is, is Henry, was he, did, am I in denial? Was I blind? Was I blind to his evil when we moved to that house? My wife, they say my wife suspected it. Did I not know? Did I not want to know? What uh, uh, did I did, am I innocent of that? Uh, or did he bring the evil to that house or was it already there waiting in Hawkins? And was he an open vessel for it? And why was he an open vessel for it? what was in him that allowed the evil to get into him? Or was he already tainted? Was he already a tainted child? There's that child of him when he then the shot of him when he walks in the door. And that's a strange oh. kid. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he makes the Adams family look healthy. <laughs> uh, Mr. England, unfortunately, we have to cut you loose there. Right. Uh, we only, so, but, we had so uh, many questions. Yeah, this, was, yeah. this was really such a pleasure for us. We're all just massive fans. So seriously, thank you for joining us on Real Blend. We really appreciate right, it. Hopefully you, you had a great time. Thank you. We want to thank Robert England for joining us on the show. And I want to point out how cool it is that, you know, a lot of times as, uh, when actors are associated with the same character and they have to talk about that character over and over again, it can get tiresome. Uh, and Robert Englund absolutely has plenty of other things in his career uh, that he can go uh, on at length about. And as he pointed out uh, multiple times, he's a Shakespearean trained actor. He's ex you know, extremely gifted and has, has stayed extremely busy over the course of his, his lengthy career. But it's always fun to see when they don't mind uh, spending time with the character that really put them on the map and, and hearing him talk about Freddie uh, and show how much love he has and, and respect he has for that character is really great, is is really special. And uh, we're all just thrilled that he was able to join us uh, and talk about his role on Stranger Things, of which I really hope that he has more to do uh, before uh, season four comes to a close with the last two episodes. OK, so we are uh, dropping this as a bonus episode. We are going to have a full episode coming up uh, where we're going to be doing another tier list. Uh, we're going to be doing some Obi-Wan spoilers uh, and still playing hashtag summer movie blend. So make sure you keep it here on the Real Blend channel. I hope everybody enjoyed the Tom Hanks episode. Please let us know in the comments down below whether you guys got a chance to watch that. Uh, and we're just rolling through the summer season. We got a lot of big things coming up. So keep it right here on Real Blend by hitting subscribe, turning on your notifications and then coming on back to the channel every time we drop a new video. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 